everybody. Welcome back to Top 3, where entrepreneurs share their secrets and mistakes. I'm Marsha O'Connor, CEO and founder of the O'Connor Group. Again, we do outsource HR, outsource recruiting for mid-sized companies. And today, I am so excited to share with you Lauren Boyer, who is the CEO of Underscore Marketing. And not only that, she is one of my pals in EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, which I've spoken a ton about out there. So if you haven't heard about us yet, please look us up, eonetwork.org. But nonetheless, Lauren, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am pumped because you have an amazing background. I also love having also other female CEOs on here and going through like what it's what it's like when you're a mom and you're going and growing and building. So how did Underscore Marketing get started? Yeah, interesting. So um, I'm going to out myself a little bit. So being in entrepreneurs organization where we met, a lot of folks talk about being the founder. And um, in my case, I wasn't. In my case, I came into a company that was just under a million dollars in revenue. It had a few people, it had a few clients, but it didn't quite have the direction that it has today. And so I came in as a very junior partner with little, little kids. I mean, this was um, probably not the best entry point if I were to plan it, but I probably would say their, their planning wasn't maybe the best time point or entry point anyway, right? So I think we just, we, we kind of go with the opportunities as they arise and we make it work. And I think that's something that is um, a little bit unique about women in entrepreneurialism, just because we're so used to having to make accommodations and not having everything be pristine and perfect. But so I came into Underscore, there were two existing partners. I had a very, very small interest. And within two years, I had a 50% interest and was a CEO versus the chief strategist that I had been brought on to partner with them, you know, in, in that regard. So I think what we did was, you know, we looked at focusing and how do we take a company that's really broad, focused on something that seems narrow, but can also be broad. So what we focused on back in the day was any, um, any kind of digital media not the marketing, you know, not the copy and the creative, not the website, but really activating all of those assets using paid media. And this goes back. I mean, I've, I've been doing this over 15 years now, closer to 20. Um, you got me. But the reality is um, it, it really it, it takes focus to grow and energy. And so what we decided to do was focus on health and wellness, where I had a lot of um, a lot of passion, a lot of heart. Also, a lot of folks that I knew that might be willing to hear my spiel as a small burgeoning business and um, thought, you know what, let's go where the passion is, where we also feel like we've got, you know, some opportunity and looking at healthcare made it feel like we were in, you know, protected industry to some degree because we're always going to be focused on our health, whether it's wellness or whether it's ailments that we're grappling with, um, you know, and things that are much more severe. So we focused there and we expanded our purview in the media realm to any kind of media. So instead of just digital, we really do everything soup to nuts. And our focus has been really of late working with more entrepreneurial clients. So really wanting to help those who are innovating in rare disease, those who are innovating in oncology, um, can be subsets of big pharma, but a lot of times it's, um, it's small biofarms who are just funded and maybe pre-revenue. So we've really kind of come full circle since I started back in 2007 with Underscore. And um, I actually bought out the uh, remaining 50% about two years ago. So now I'm fully the owner, but still not the founder. Wow. Yeah, but still, and that's okay. It's just, you know, everybody has a journey, right? And you have to figure those things out. And so that's a big journey going from digital then going to focus and then doing all that media. You know, if you could turn back the clock 
you know, what's one or two things you would have done differently? You know, I think I would have actually started with the client focus that we have today back then. We went through a lot of what I call like sort of roller coaster cycles where we're a service-based business, right? So agency model, for those of you that are familiar with, with the model where, you know, it might not be billed on a time and materials basis. You still might be billing on project, but at the end of the day, you're billing people's time and hours and, and energy and ability to be innovative at any given time. And every time you take a person on and grow your company, you're, you're creating another burden for the company, you know, you know, without, I'm not, not saying hiring and growing with people is a negative thing, but you're actually incrementally growing your liability in terms of what you're going to have to yield going forward now because you've given somebody a W-2 job. So when you're working with a large company and they keep throwing brands at you and then you scale to fit it and they decide to leave with a slim notice period, you end up not being able to keep those people on until you can survive the sales cycle to take on a, a next new client who's as large. When you take on clients who are more entrepreneurial, they tend to be a little smaller and more nimble. And so we're more aligned in that way, being about 75 people. We can be nimble with building around their team and around what they need. We don't need to have process that's that's um, so unbreakable and you know so strict and rigid that we can't loosen up how we do things to form around our clients and help them where they need help the most. So I think those are those are all really big learnings. Um, but I don't think I would have known that and landed until I had had the big mistakes. So I'm certainly regretful of having hired people and had to lay people off in the past. And, um, you know, certainly I would do everything to protect that going forward. So we've changed the focus of who we serve um, to be more aligned with our size and scale. And we've also changed the, um, the approach that we take. So instead of using full-time W-2 hires for everything, we will use consultants or small companies where needed for very specialized expertise. But we've gotten ourselves to a scale where we feel like we have all the core expertise. And so, you know, for ad hoc, I think it is a really flexible model that's very nimble and very much in line with, with my entrepreneurial spirit and view and that of our new client roster. Yeah, it's a fine line. I think when you first start off for entrepreneurs, like a lot, so I'll just let you know, Typically, it's about three years, about 10 years, people who will listen to this podcast in particular and figuring out like when when do I hire somebody? What's the best time? Should I start off with it? And I can tell you, like when I first started, I did only 1099s because I, I couldn't pay the employer taxes yet, you know, as let alone getting money in from your clients because professional services, it takes a good 30 to 45 to sometimes 60 days before you get those checks in. And so you want to start paying them as soon as money comes in. But it's a it's a fine line, and I think uh, people have to figure out what what makes sense with 1099s and W2s. I think because the employment um, is so like strong right now, you know, having a W2 is probably more advantageous sometimes because you want to keep that person and keep that knowledge management inside. Whereas I started 2007, and that wonderful thing called the Great Recession happened, and people were just eager to work. So I had gotten a lot of really good people in the 1099. Not so sure I would have gotten them today, um, but interesting what you have to do back and forth. How many employees are you up to now? So we've got 75 people full-time on staff. And what's unique about the people that we have is that we, we started out very New York City-centric. And while we are headquartered in New York City, which really is the, you know, sort of the place that you have to be if you're doing media deals and negotiations that are relationship-based, um, we've actually felt some comfort with having additional offices and um, other locations with so much that's happening digitally. So now we've opened an office up in Saratoga, New York. 
we have um, we actually have a great office in Krakow, Poland, where we have a lot of folks that can work while we're sleeping, and that was really the impetus for setting that up. Um, there were a lot of folks that wanted to learn marketing and, and media specifically, but they weren't seeing as much happening that was as progressive as what U.S. companies were doing in their country. So when we brought the opportunity to Poland, we had a lot of people coming right out of school who were really eager to learn. And flash forward about 15 years since we did that, we've got people that are still with us from day one. So um, we've really got a, a really interesting group. It's not just junior people starting their careers in one location and then senior folks um, in the next. It really is a mix of people in different locations across the globe now. Um, we've ex we've expanded into almost every continent. We're going to keep going. So how did you pick Poland? Poland was weird. It was a happenstance thing, right? So we were very humble beginnings, um, shared office space in a very open environment in New York City. And the folks that held the lease, they had picked up a really large financial services contract. So development um, in financial services, which is really big, obviously, and a, a you know big opportunity in New York City, especially for tech back then. But they couldn't scale the people quickly enough. And somebody was Polish. He went home to go, you know, corral folks that were going to be like back at, back in his hometown. As it turned out, it worked really well. And we watched it happening and said, why, why are we going to create something new and we can look at something that's working and borrow? Um, so that's precisely what we did. That's awesome. Okay. And then in regards to, you know, I find it fascinating that you just took it and you leaped on it and you went on with it. And now you have an office in Krakow, which is pretty, pretty amazing, actually. Not everybody would have done that. And how about in regards to just like moving forward, you know, where are you expanding more than that Krakow? Or is it just like, no, I'm sticking to this and this is what we're going to do for, for now? So, yeah, good question. We had done that for a while where it was Krakow and, um, and the U.S. And really it was more like the, the New York region um, in the U.S. specifically. And we were looking at how can we mirror certain operations, um, mirror certain tasks and things to extend our day. So giving pieces of things to the team in Poland and having a, a handoff, almost baton pass on a daily basis so that things were happening as, as the U.S. was sleeping and vice versa in Krakow. And then we started looking at some of the client needs. And um, as those started to pivot and change a little bit, we found it's pretty unique areas where we need to have that team do things and leverage you know, their six-hour time difference. But then there's also unique needs that we have that are much more aligned with the time the, the time zone that we're in now. So we've started looking at how can we bring people in that are in time zone, but also out of country. And so that led us to having some folks that are that are in different regions in South America, that are in different regions, um, you know, looking at expansion even into Philippines and areas like that where, you know, we can give them that opportunity that we gave the team in Poland to learn something new and to experience something other than they'd have access to in their home country. But we can create a benefit for our clients as we're creating a benefit for them. So really always looking to foster like more knowledge and access to our industry, which can be so hard to break into while we help our clients and do the best we can for helping them scale together. That's awesome. Um, and then regarding, you know, even like your service offerings and all too, you went from obviously digital media to a lot more media. What do you think like for the future? Because entrepreneurs are listening. And obviously when you are in that mode of that three years and 10 years, cost is everything and expenses and all. So what do you think the best way to basically spend those dollars in the marketing world? 
what's what's happening in the future so that they can get prepared. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think, you know, if you're just kind of drawing on the marketing and media expertise that I have, thinking broadly across all different industries and like specifically towards entrepreneurs, which would give us that B2B filter and lens. Um, mm -hmm. I liken it a lot to some of the doctors that have private practices that are growing their practices, um, you know, which is the health and wellness sector that we're in. And I think about like, what does that look like? It looks a lot like speaking at conferences and, you know, going and keeping yourself out there extending those engagements pre and post with podcasting or webcasts or webinars that can be alive, you know, much longer than the one day event. It looks like getting the lists and, um, and making the cold calls to have the meetings one to one so that you can really leverage all of those dollars that go into a sponsorship and you can make something that seems like a one or two day event, a whole year event of marketing. Um, you know, obviously content is still king and people are always looking for fresh ideas. But a lot of times, even just having an intern scrape industry trade pubs and look at what's hot and feature something that's, um, you know, more of a curated guide to what's going on that week with links to other publications can get you just as much. So I would say, you know, the combination of digital marketing and content together with some in-person and sponsorship so that you really have that meet and greet opportunity as entrepreneurs, I think we're, we're, we're our own best salespeople. So getting out there and getting our personality associated with the content and with that advice or consultation or product that we're ultimately gonna wanna share with them is really the way to go. And you know what we also do is look at some paid search. Um, we, we leverage Bing, which allows you to use LinkedIn. So you can take a contact list of people that you're really wanting to get to meet and start a relationship with. And you can actually see if they search on Bing. And if they do, they can come through to your site with some tagging and you can have a sense of that and have a little bit more information as you go into that sales funnel of the first meeting. You know, I see you look for me. That's that's great because I was looking for you too. You know, it's, it's kind of a great matchup to use technology in a way that's altruistic and transparent and not in that sketchy, you know, automated AI way. We've all gotten those LinkedIn invitations where you click okay and immediately get like five paragraphs back i mean nobody wants that particularly people who are in marketing and know the drill it might be okay in certain sectors of the industry i don't want to dismiss it because i know it works for a lot of folks but you know in the service world focus on marketing it's not something that i find um people aren't skeptical of no and i also think uh it's just no one has time for that either and you know we're all relationship based and I tell people all the time, like, you know, when I, I don't even sell, it's more of like, let's have coffee. If I can help you, great. If I can, I'm going to afford you somebody who can. Um, if I don't get that sale, it's, it's not really about that. Um, and I think that's one of the big things that a lot of people um, mess up on. You know, they want to go for the kill right away. And I'm like, unfortunately, we're so relationship driven right now that it doesn't work that way. So for sure. Now, yeah, yeah. how about for entrepreneurs? You work with a lot of entrepreneurs, you said. How do they get started? Like, because I imagine, you know, they're, everybody's afraid to spend money on things. And obviously their pennies are getting even tighter now with inflation and people costs and stuff like that. How do they get started with a firm like yours to really best utilize those dollars to get something like an ROI out of it? Yeah, and I, I think that's a really important term, ROI. I think a lot of people think of ROI as, um, as dollar in, dollar out. 
and there's a one-to-one -one relationship. But even if we take a, a likeness to sales, that's not the case. You know, you're looking at building something and whether you're building awareness of your brand into that interest and, you know, potential to purchase your brand or building a relationship with that initial introduction or coffee, like you said, into something that turns into a program, you know, or project, it, it's really taking the approach of, having that altruistic trust and transparency into like what you want as the end goal. So you can't, you know, kind of cast a wide net and just do everything all at once. It's too many work streams. It's too much to manage, but you can be really careful about how you put your creative together, what you're trying to say and the consistency of it. And you can look at people being interested or not, and looking at signs of engagement, you know, and KPIs along those lines and use like leading indicators, key performance indicators that help you understand these people didn't open the email. These people clicked through and spent, you know, th three plus page views on our site. These are the people we're going to reach out to and call and subset into a different list. So I think it's about that segmentation and about the curation and quality when you're starting out because buying the big ticket ad in the print publication that you saved $16,000 for or whatever, it's not going to be the holy grail. It's not going to work. It's going to help drive your, um, you know, drive the awareness of the fact that your brand exists. But unless you're out there constantly reinforcing the brand and doing the conference circuit and meeting with your clients um, and asking for referrals from your clients, it's not going to really do much other than, you know, kind of like an FSI drop would do for um, a CPG product. You know, Sunday Circular comes out, boop, you see the spikes four days later, no more spikes. You're good. Um, now, that works really well in that industry. But like you said, in our service based industry or, you know, consultation you know type of industry, you really have to be careful. And I think then you start to scale what's working. So little test and learns, nuanced. Um, get out there and get trying. You know, it doesn't really cost you much to try to do some social media. It, you know, you can you can kind of look at it and uh, not have to have a high spending limit or cost of entry there. Um, certainly getting your name out there through things like like today, like what we're doing, like talk to people that do podcasts. See if, if they want to hear from you and want to hear about your expertise and your product and, you know, promote that. I, I think all of these things are really good tools that are relatively low cost but can be in stream and can help to reinvigorate your passion for your business and your employees or consultants, you know, time and energy spent towards marketing the business too. Oh yeah. But I, I think, you know, it's, listen, I'm a huge fan of marketing. Nobody knows me. I do a lot of different things out there, a lot of speaking. We do a lot to get in front of people. If once you get in my HubSpot, you're on and um, you get ready to receive a lot of stuff from us. But we do that on purpose, but it does work for our, our audience and who we are. I'm sure you've had some mistakes. I'm sure you've had nothing always goes as planned. As an entrepreneur, you need to be really okay with that, even though it's painful. So could you give us some examples of some things that did not go well for you? So yeah, so I'll say, I'll talk from the entrepreneurial side, um, more so than from the marketing side. Um, because I think that there's definitely places where you can have missteps. So, you know, being in EO, I'm sure that you've heard you want to work on the business and not in the business. So I've been a, a member for nine years and I hear a lot of people say that. And, and what I thought it meant was I could only work in a strategic capacity and I should not be in the day to day ever. And so I hired somebody who was going to come in and take the reins from me. And I really stepped out of a lot of the day to day but I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't put in the right controls. 
and I didn't ask the right questions. I was asking questions. I was engaged. I was having regular meetings. I really thought that I knew what was going on and that I was running the company. Felt great, but um, that emperor or empress, if you will, had no clothes. Um, it really, it actually set us into a kind of a downward spiral when I found out that I wasn't asking the right questions about the pipeline, and um, we didn't quite have what I thought we had, you know, in opportunities. And so, ended up having to really pivot and switch and go right back into the business in a capacity that I hadn't been in in years before you know, before that um, situation. So I would say like my key learning and takeaway is it's not necessarily like that it was the person's fault. I mean, I'm gonna take full responsibility. I made the decision, I made the hiring decision. I even had the person do, you know, work and consulting before we even started. So I felt, I felt like I did it all right. Mm-hmm. Just that I didn't know what I was doing. So yep. I would say maybe getting some experience shares that are specific, maybe um, doing a little bit more vetting and legwork uh, in terms of what questions you have to ask and how you have to pivot your management and leadership style that might work well for day-to-day people, but doesn't work as well for more senior folks. How do you, but how do you do that? You know, because you and I know how to do that. We've been around the block. We've done a bunch of stuff. We do that. But when you're new, it's, it's really hard to do that because unless you surround yourself with like a group, like an EO, you don't have people to talk to. And you want to make sure it's the right decision, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I do think you have people to talk to. I just think as entrepreneurs, if, if you're not in a group like EO or, or one of the other you know groups that are similar, you feel that way and you feel isolated. However, you can actually join your industry groups. You can join you know conversations and the discussions that are happening online. There's, um, there's great sponsored information. Like I, I listen to a lot of podcasts that are about professional development and business leadership. And there's a lot of perspective that's in there. So while you're driving, you know, put some of this stuff on. I'm not saying sit in your chair for more and more hours, you know, listening to more stuff. But as you're taking that walk or at the gym, you know, turn off, turn off the Netflix, um, you know, and, and kind of listen to some of this stuff and then get in the conversation. Because a lot of these um, podcasts and discussions that are out there have an ability to interact. And yeah. instead of being a lurker, lean forward and drive this and go get the answers. Like go actively seek those answers from people. If we can hunt down a prospect list for our company, we can hunt down some experts that can help us get to the next place. Oh, so yeah. I think it's just about deciding to do it and not thinking that it's overwhelming and grueling. Yeah, I, it's true. It is a mind shift, actually. The whole thing, entrepreneur is in a mind shift. You have to be okay with the good, the bad, and the ugly, but also, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Be humble. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. A lot I of mean, humble pie. Yeah. I mean, at the end of our, our you know, our day, our week, our year, successful or not in our minds, we have our integrity, we have our reputations. And you've got to, you've got to make sure that you keep that consistent and you keep that in line with what you want to be perceived as. Yeah, I, I would agree with that hundred um, percent. In regards to, you know, how you spend your time, you now basically are CEO. How do you spend your time on a weekly basis? Yeah, it depends. Um, my business is somewhat cyclical in terms of when we're planning for ourselves versus when we're planning for clients. Um, we'll have you know, different things that need to happen at different junctures in terms of additional scale that's happening and change because, you know, we aren't the largest company, you know, and we probably have a little bit more scaling to do, you know, with certain systems and tech and things like that so that we really can compete with, 
with everybody at the same scale and level. I think we do a really good job of it, you know, and, and for the people that we service, they would never notice that there's anything missing because they wouldn't be using some of those power tools. But I think, you know, getting to that level and feeling like we can sustain it is what our holy grail is. So the way that I look at it is part um, like checks and balances and making sure that we're hitting the KPIs with people who are empowered to run certain parts of the business. And part is always looking at that strategy and pivot what's happening in, in the world and, you know, in our relative communities, like, you know, um, whether they be health and wellness communities or geo communities specifically um, or population communities and like, where can we pivot and where can we grow? Because our mission is really to make, make sure that we use our, and leverage our media behavior to help people lead healthier lives um, or at least get some of the relief and, and hope back that they can, you know, if they're in that rare disease or oncology category. Wow. Um, yeah, those are definitely hot areas too to be in because of what's happening in the world and where we're going. And I think healthcare itself is just an avenue like Philadelphia. Obviously, you know, it's the cell and gene um, therapy, like capital of the world. They're trying to be here. And so it has grown significantly in those areas. So it's definitely a primary for you to target next if you haven't already um, in the Philadelphia marketplace. But it's definitely an area where literally we have so many, we have about 40% life science clients and they will come back to us and say, do you have life science, you know, experience, um, whether one way or the other. And so we have a lot of it now, but you know, when we first started off, we didn't. And, uh, but they won't work with you unless you have all that. So it's good that you are um, being so focused on that area, especially a very high growth area too. So, cause there's life science and healthcare, which are a little mm -hmm. bit, Different, but similar at the same time, so, which is cool. Um, so how do you stay on top of everything? How do you, as it's a lot of work, you have different locations, different offices. What do you do to stay ahead of the curve as CEO? So I really focus on people and signal intelligence. And what that means is I have people in each area of, of the business, as you would think of any business and how it is operationally split. You know, you've got people that are working on ops and finance and HR, um, but you also have people that are working on the product and your, your actual deliverables. And then, you know, obviously there's really critical folks all along the way, keeping all those pieces together and moving and working together to make sure that the clients are happy and that everything is fully integrated in terms of their expectations with the right pricing, right? So it's like, yeah, it's, it's one big little happy package, um, but there's a lot of moving parts. So what I've done is I've empowered people as leaders to have KPIs that we agree show us uh, like what direction we're going. And we use a really basic model of, red, yellow, green, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. like, what do we have to focus on? And sometimes we have to really process an issue that's in red and we bring in a cross-functional group of people and figure out like, what's like, what's the crux of this, you know, what's causing it and um, how do we address it? Can we address it with the knowledge that we have internally? Do we need to go externally? And if we have to go externally, it would be my job to help to identify the right people to come in and, and help us. When things are going well, that's great, but um, what else can we do to make them better? And so it really is about talking to the clients, talking to the team, looking at all of that signal intelligence in terms of the KPIs that they're reporting on, looking at the red, yellow, and greens, and then figuring out what we're triaging for like the day, the week, the month. Um, you know, and I always set up a yearly kind of charter as well, just so that we're, we're kind of tracking to that next place. Yeah, I, I, well, that didn't come overnight. How did no. you get to that point? Right, exactly, laughing because it takes it's a longer process than people think. How did you even get started doing that? 
You know, I think what I started doing was at least getting myself to be able to realize that having other help ongoingly was necessary. Um, basic things like starting out, listing out what you're doing and spending your, your time on, like, what were your tasks all day? You know, for those that aren't in the, the joy and beauty of daily time tracking for every task as, uh, as gets recorded in the system, um, that happens a lot in agencies and in law firms and things like that, but not necessarily everywhere. You might lose sight of what all these tactics are. And even just keeping a daily log, um, if you're using a project management tool or, you know, something like, um, I think, um, there's like Eversana that a lot of people talk about um, that they're using, but there's, there's other tools, but there's a lot of free tools or very low yeah. cost tools that can help mm -hmm. you really gain sight of what you're spending your time on. And if it's not your highest and best value, and you have an opportunity to get somebody who's a virtual assistant or an intern or, you know, somebody that's, that's even part-time that's helping to pick up a lot of that admin stuff, you're going to set yourself free to start thinking again. So it's basically, how do you bootstrap yourself out of those weeds day to day and make time, um, do the things that you can do and, and are necessary for you to do, but then really like give us, other people an opportunity to support you. And that'll help mm -hmm. you grow, but you're not going to grow if you're just treading water by yourself. No. And I also think people don't realize that they're so afraid of spending the money on it and they don't realize that how much money you'll be making because of it. That's right. You know, and once you start changing that mind shift, um, it's a truly amazing and you got to let go. And most people don't want to let go of looking at your calendar and taking care of all that because they're like, I got it, I got it. And, and once you get the right person um, and there's so many great virtual assistant programs out there right now. And uh, I would definitely look into one of them because they'll take good care of you, get to know you really well and manage your calendar and you will have more time to work on clients and then you get so comfortable with your VA mm -hmm. that you start giving them a lot more than that. And uh, next thing you know, like you're like, this, they're, they're indispensable and a really good one is. So I do believe that. But I think a lot of CEOs don't find that out to probably three to five years into it, you know, because I got it, I got it, I got it. And. You know, if I had no, if done anything differently in my business, one of them I would have started sooner. Two, I would have gotten a VA like five years sooner by far. So, but, you know, you learn. Oh, good. Yeah. But, right, exactly. So we'll see. Hey, how do you, um, how do you take care of you? Because it's really hard. You're a mom, you know, successfully. You have 75 employees. It's no laughing matter. It's a lot of work, a lot of employee issues. It's getting everybody motivated and pumped up every day, which is, it's, it's hard. It's hard because you're wearing toothpicks all the time in your cheeks. You know, how do you do it and keep it, keep a, um, keep your mind going? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to just say like, it's not easy. You know, I don't, I would, I would say that I always put myself last. I think that's probably one of the, you know, the biggest flaws that I have as a human. Um, I'd, I'd rather work on your stuff than stop and maybe admit what I have wrong with me, right? Or, or that it needs nope. attention. Um, but, but even things like sleep tend to suffer. And, you know, as I've, as I've been, you know, scaling in um, both the business and in my own age and, and stage with my kids, I've had some more time to be able to start to step back and do that. So, you know, really just mindfully taking time off and, you know, spending weekends out and away and off um, off any kind of connectedness. So we ended up buying a boat and we spend the weekend in Lake George. Really spotty cell coverage, you know, not too much chance that I'm gonna be laying there checking emails and, you know, responding to things um, and, and not sitting there chain watching something when I could be a little bit more active too. So I think you have to find where, um, what brings you peace. And for me, it's water. 
So that was a great investment. And that was something that was, you know, kind of like a hard one, like, oh, there's all the, you know, you hear about boats and it's like, oh, you know, there's so much money that goes into it and, and on and on. But if water is your thing and you want to disconnect, it's a great solution. So some people mm -hmm. do it with biking or yoga or, you know, other types of fitness. Um, and a lot of folks tend to read, you know, I think that just, just reading and doing some meditation can really be helpful too. So that's, that's another practice that I, that I would strongly recommend is um, just like a five minute meditation every day, wake up and be, be grateful. Yeah. Being grateful is a big deal. I remember talking to somebody about me trying to do meditation every day and he laughed at me. He's like, you, he goes, you're like on 24 seven. I said, I know it's a problem. And uh, so for me, water is it as well. Me is walking. I don't know about you, but I, I'm into my walk and talks and I have a leadership meeting at uh, 3.30 today. And I'm like, like, I'm leaving here and I'm going to go walk and you can talk to me while I'm doing that. Because I feel like it energized, my creativity comes through. I feel like I did something for me, you know, instead of beating yourselves up all the time. And women do that all the time. And, um, and it's basically, I, I have my tracker now for my steps every day and I look at it every single day and the goal is 10,000 steps. And I gotta be honest, many days I don't even come close. Um, and, and then I beat myself up by that too, right? Cause I'm a very goal oriented person as all entrepreneurs are. Um, but you gotta be kind to yourself to like, just do the best you can, you know, and make it, try to make it work. So, mm -hmm. but everything I'll, I now park farther away from like a company or, or like Acme or whatever, just to like, well, I gotta take my extra steps. I gotta make my 10,000 a day. <laughs> yeah, or so. go to Acme instead of getting everything on the shopping app that we all got so used to. You know, I, I kind of, I'm not gonna say I ditched Instacart fully, but you know, I'm actually getting out there and walking the aisles here and there just to kind of reconvene with society and <laughs> what it's like to be out in the world again. Yes, it's so cool to be like that too. So I'm, I'm a big, big fan. And then Friday mornings, it's like Friday, right? Who's even gonna get together? So I do walk and talks. So I have a, a client, I'm like, hey, when I get in your um, your gear, we're going to go walking at a park for, you know, it's in the shades. I'm more about too much sweat, but it's a great hour, hour and a half workout. And you get your point, you get your steps in, you get your client connection in and they like it too. And you just don't go in the office because you're smelly and stinky, but it's all good. So uh, it's a beautiful thing. Um, what do you do? Do you do Audible or do you do um, read a book? So I, I do a lot of Audible. I was doing a lot of driving. And so I found Audible to be really helpful from that perspective. So between my podcast and my Audible, um, but I used to read volumes and volumes of books. And so I just set up a little hammock at the house. I know it sounds, you know, sounds kind of quaint, but a little shady area. I'm thinking, you know what? I have so many books that I've gotten at business conferences and things that I've never really cracked a cover on. And um, I think I'm gonna start that. That's that's one of the things that I'm thinking of as a goal for the summer is to at least read two books, right? Some people will laugh and they do that in a week or a day, but um, you know, baby steps, right? <laughs> oh yeah, that we have we have a, like a library here at the office, and you know, I was looking at this thing. I'm like, all these books, and like, not everybody comes in anymore. It's like it is. It's like a hybrid, but no one's like mandatory to come in. So we just had our conference, and so I said, and our we gave them all totes. It's really cute. I said, listen. We're giving out the books. And I said, because I'd rather have at least a person read a book, you know, so they can get better in their lives and all too. And we have it here for a reason. And so we got rid of a lot of books by probably only like a half of all the books that we have here because we had 80 people. And I was like, wow, we have a lot of books. And, um, but they're all going in good hands, but we're trying to get people to use them and actually read them because not many people come into the office, which is fine. It's just, I feel like it's all this wasted great knowledge like just wasted. And so we decided to give them out. Um, and so far 
we haven't got any returnees, so that's a good sign. So, uh, so we'll see, but what happen with that? What about an app? Do you get up in the morning besides an email? What's the first app you go to? So I look at news. Um, I think it's, I have to be very cognizant and mindful of global news and you know, when I wake up, I'm behind. So there's definitely things that are happening in Europe and particularly with the, um, obviously like the situation in Ukraine, um, they're very close, they're bordering Poland and we have, you know, a number of team members there, also a number of members on the team that have family in Ukraine. So mm. really wanting to be mindful and empathetic to what's happening, um, looking at what we can do and how we can pull through empathy in the entire company as opposed to like, well, it's happening in Europe and we're US, you know, we don't have to think about that. But really, you know, wanting to be a global citizen and wanting to know what's going on and foster that empathy and or the or the excitement and energy if there's something breaking that's, you know, that's amazing that we want to share with everybody. So it's not always like down in the dumps. Um, hopefully this, this situation doesn't continue to, you know, to, to be as it is. Well, from your lips to God's ears, I yeah, hope yeah. so too. Yeah. Um, and then regarding, what do you think? You had the crystal ball in front of you and the economy, you know, it's like the tipsy-turvy thing. You've been doing this for almost 20 years. You know, you've seen the ups and downs and all, and you see the numbers coming along. What do you think we're going to be doing the next 12 to 18 months in regards to like hiring, firing, all that good stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think it really depends um, industry to industry. I think in our industry, when we're talking about life sciences and we're talking about, you know, pharma, healthcare, um, it really is about um, flexibility. I think they're so rigid minded because of, you know, the fact that they scaled quickly and acquired multiple products in many cases that, you know, people just need to be on site and there were more and more offices and so bigger, bigger buildings and campuses and all of these great perks for employees that made sense. And now they're sitting there scratching their heads saying, we gotta pay all of the costs to keep this going, but what about what the team wants? What about what they do? And um, how do we keep them checked out and not burned out? But how do we also have the assurance that they're moving in the direction that we need them to move in without that day-to-day in-person contact that we know is so important for collaboration? So, you know, it's, it's really kind of making sure that we've got all of our checks and balances in place with those things. And I say people first, like, what are we going to be doing? We're going to be looking at like what people need and surrounding them with it. And if that means hiring in a slightly different capacity where it's a different structure, it's maybe it's more 1099 or maybe it's more job share, you know, maybe it's abridged hours for people that got used to being able to do laundry during the week or, you know, what, whatever the case may be. But I think flexibility is going to be the name of the game if we were to hmm. boil it down to one word. That's a great word for it. Um, yeah, I think, well, if you don't have flexibility as an entrepreneur, you're in the wrong role. Um, number one, resilience as well. I think 2020 was basically a good case from point right there. You had to be resilient and you had to be creative outside the box and be the, um, the empathizer, right? So it's pretty interesting to see what happens with all that. Uh, those are great ob- observations. So if someone says on this podcast, hey, I love to talk to Lauren, how to get a hold of her. How do we get a hold of Lauren? So you can actually reach out real easily. Um, email is lauren at underscore marketing.com. And you have to spell out the word underscore and the word marketing and obviously dot com. Um, but Lauren is L-A-U-R-E-M. So pretty simple. Um, yep. No, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, keep going. You have a newsletter too at all or? Um, we don't. Have, well, you can go to underscoremarketing.com. Uh, we do have some great information there, articles, insights. Um, there's even, you know, for folks that are in the industry, there's even a free audit opportunity. So if you want to take a look at what you're getting versus, you know, 
what you should be getting, um, at least from our perspective, we'll tell you that for free. So you can go on and request an audit. Oh, I love that idea. So uh, it's a great way to get the foot in the door, but it's also, I think a lot of times these people need to hear what yeah. they need to hear. And no one is actually really telling them sometimes out there until like, oh my God, I spent all this money for what? So I think that's a great idea. Definitely go out there, guys, and get that going on underscore marketing.com. That would be great. Um, and what would you say in regards to, um, you know, entrepreneurs in the future? Now, listen, when we all started entrepreneurism, like I did 15 years ago, it was not a cool word. It was like, oh, that, that sounds nice, dear. Right. And everybody's looked at you like you like you had four heads. Now it's cool. Now it's chic. Now it's like all that great stuff. You know, how would you say to like an entrepreneur that's saying, should I get started? What would be your, like your one sentence of advice to them? You know, I would really think about what you have to lose. Um, I would, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Marsha, but for people that think that there's a lot of security in a W-2 environment working for somebody else, I would say that that's shifted drastically. And really, you need to be in the driver's seat of your life. And if that means that you belong in a construct that's a W-2 and you're careful and, and happy with the risks you know, versus rewards in that um, situation, that that's great. But I think... Um, if you are taking the reins and you know wanting to see the risks firsthand and pivot without anybody else's input, then entrepreneurial is probably for you. Couldn't agree with you more. I had a really good mentor sit down with me and I said, what do you think? And he said, Marsh, I'm gonna be very honest with you. You need to be okay to lose the house. And I said, what do you mean my house? He's like, yeah, you gotta be okay with it. So obviously interesting conversation. I go home to my husband that night and I'm like, so I need to chat with you. I really want to do this, as you know, and mm -hmm. are you okay if we lost the house? And he just looked at me and said, yeah, I guess so. And I'm not sure I think he really thought it out, um, you know, because knowing him as well as I do probably wouldn't have done it very well. Um, but I always thought of like, you'll grow up with nothing. You'll be fine. You can start with nothing again, you know, but I got this. And uh, but you have to really go in. It's a mind shift of it, it's 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 a lot, you know, the hours you put in at first and and I had one of my friends say, I want to do the entrepreneur and I'm going to be, you know, um, doing really well after a year. And, you know, I said, well, hmm, um, I give it five years at least to get that process really going and moving because you're definitely going to have some kinks. You're going to say that selling is a lot harder than you think. Um, and then you have to hire people and all this stuff that goes along with it. So I tell people it's about five years to get a true process moving. But some people are lucky and get it up running. And that is awesome. But I just, I'm like, I'm a realist. I'd rather tell them the truth on that. So for yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and look, you know, put your toe in the water, try consulting, right? Like, you know, find an entrepreneur that's in that startup mode that isn't ready to hire W-2s and, you know, get some, some perspective by watching them and helping them, you know, as you're kind of starting to test what risk looks like when you don't have that guaranteed paycheck every week or you know, bi-weekly. Yeah. And reach out to people. I mean, there's a lot of people I know myself. I have EO on my LinkedIn. People who are on LinkedIn, you don't have to be in LinkedIn to get LinkedIn. I'm sorry, EO to get EO advice. Right. You know, so there are people who are very willing, like Lauren and myself out there to help out and answer any question you might have. So don't be a stranger and don't be shy. And trust me, if you have any fear of failure, just call people out there because we've all had it. We've all been there and now we're past that. So it's a good thing. Awesome. Well, Lauren, thank you for your time today. Thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate it. Uh, don't forget, guys, to get in contact with Lauren at underscore marketing. And um, this is it. This is Marsha O'Connor. This is Top 3, where entrepreneurs share their secrets and mistakes. We'll talk to you next time. Take care.